it just dawned on me that my horses, my two horses that came into my life as kind of guardian angels, I had access to them because they were broken, because they were downgraded from being useful to the world. But they were probably my two strongest influences. They were very strong things that the world thought were broken. And I I liked that because I feel that way about myself and my family. And I feel that way about my community of fans, you know, largely a lot of misfits, a lot Mm. of rejected people coming together in a really strong way. Hello, and welcome to a very special Grammys edition of the Awardist Podcast from Entertainment Weekly. Uh, In this edition, we will take you inside all of the intrigue, insight, and drama of the 2022 Grammy ceremony. My name is Jason Lanfier. I'm an editor at EW who covers music. And today I am joined by Maureen Lenker, an EW writer who also covers music. Hi, Maureen. How are things? I'm well, Jason. How are you? But not not too bad. So you had the pleasure and privilege of speaking to Brandy Carlisle about her banner year. She's won already six Grammys, but this year alone, she's up for a whopping five. And not just for one song or one album, but for three different songs, um, two, two of which were collaborations, one which is, is her own. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as a Brandy Carlisle stan. I've deemed you a standy, a resident standy <laughs> at EW. What your thoughts were when you heard that she had received so many nominations? I was absolutely thrilled because, you know, I think Brandy is a singer songwriter in the class of someone like Carol King or Joni Mitchell you know, those types of incredible musical icons. And I think for a while, we had been moving away from that type of music, particularly, you know, on the charts and in what we were hearing a lot of on the radio. That was just not where pop music was headed. And there was always that element in country, but I feel like until the last few years, country had also been really different. And so I love that we're coming back to what I always love most about music, which is just really like the roots of good musical storytelling and telling a story through your lyrics, incredible vocals, incredible melody. And, you know, there's so much we can do with technology now, but I think sometimes just going back to those brass tacks can be the most revolutionary thing. I love that you touched on the vocals because I don't think you can talk about Brandy's music in general, but in particular, right on time without talking about these incredible, incredible vocals that she delivers. So just for listeners who are uninitiated with, you know, where Brandy stands in the Grammys race. So right on time in particular is up for a best pop solo performance, record of the year and song of the year. So I think Maureen, let's start by chatting specifically about right on time. And again, you touched on the vocals, which I remember the first time I heard this song, I was just floored by the dynamic storm of a voice, you know, coming out of this woman on this chorus. It's like roof shattering um, when she hits that right on time. It wasn't right. You must have been blown away as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
Brandy spoke in our interview a little bit about how that blow the roof off vocal performance is something she loves to do. And she relishes getting to do that in a song, but particularly early in her career, didn't necessarily get to do a ton of it. And when she was writing and arranging this, that was uh, a big priority for her. Uh, Although she said she, you know, fears getting older and having to hit those notes if she's still touring (laughs) in later decades of her life. Um, But maybe she can talk to Stevie Nicks about that. Um, (laughs) But um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, her instrument is astonishing. And I think people who have loved or appreciated Brandy have maybe been really into her songwriting. I mean, she won a Grammy for writing an entire album for someone else, (laughs) you know? So she is an incredible songwriter, even if she's not writing for herself. But to get to really have the showcase for her voice is something special because I think outside of people who know the ins and outs of her music really, really well, they may not realize that she had that at her disposal. Yeah, absolutely. Listening to this song too, I don't get country or Americana at all, I get, as you touched on before, classic songwriting, like the greats. Mm. I listen to Right on Time, I get Bowie's Life on Mars. I get Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Mm. I get like singer, songwriter, big, big sound, like you said, rich storytelling. And then also, I like that you can't quite figure out what's going on with the lyrics because she seems to be expressing a sort of regret, but also a sort of resignation or at least a self-actualization that it's reality. Like Mm. there's that, that line, it wasn't right, but it was right on time. And I think when you interviewed her about the track in the video several months ago, you actually like, I think you asked her about that line in particular and what that, what that sort of means to her. What did she say? She talked a lot about how this song came out of the pandemic and the sort of spiritual and emotional stasis we've all been in collectively for the last few years. And the ways that that has forced us to reevaluate everything in our lives from our relationships to where we live, to our jobs, to what's important to us. And I think that this song is an evocation of that in a way in terms of something like the pandemic. It wasn't right. Like we, we wouldn't wish it, but in some ways it was right on time. Like I think we've all suffered tremendous loss these last few years but we've also had the opportunity to take a step back and reflect in ways that we've never had the time and space to do so in the same way before. And so I love how the song captures how bittersweet that is, how we wouldn't want this, we wouldn't have asked for it, it's not right, but in some ways it was right on time in terms of providing us with things we couldn't have seized without it. Yeah. It has become a bit of a pandemic anthem in that regard, and that it does really capture that perspective shifting or personal reckoning, right, with how we relate to other people, but then also, I think, how we understand and relate to ourselves. Yeah. But I think like any great song, um, 
you know, I can clearly understand how that was her inspiration, but anybody listening to it could relate it to a relationship in their life, maybe that, you know, wasn't right and ultimately wasn't their person, but it was right on time for where they were at in their life or, you know, a professional achievement or a job where, you know, ultimately that wasn't the right place for them, but it was right for the time and the place that they were at creatively. So that's the beauty of it as well, is that it comes from this like very specific collective experiences we've all gone through, but also has that universality um, that any great song does. (laughs) I love that. I love that interpretation because it's it's like, you know, we have we've said for years, you know, Mr. Right, Mr. Right now, Mrs. Right, Mrs. Right now. And it's just a sort of more it's it's a richer, more for profound sort of take on that if you interpret it that way. So it's up for, you know, three different awards. Um mm-hmm. so it's up for Best Pop Solo Performance, it's up for Record of the Year, and it's up for Song of the Year. Interestingly, Brandy Carlyle will be competing with herself for the in the song of the year category because she has recorded a song with Alicia Keys, A Beautiful Noise. Maureen, can you tell me a little bit about the story behind A Beautiful Noise? Yeah. So Brandy was telling me, um, and you'll hear more in the interview, of course, that that song was such a different experience for her because it wasn't writing for a particular artist or, and it wasn't writing for her album. It was writing for this like very explicit political purpose, which was to get out the vote, to encourage people to vote and to celebrate voting rights and people having access to voting. And she actually revealed to me that for her and Alicia, Stacey Abrams was the inspiration for that song, which I think is pretty wow. amazing. That's tremendous. Um, Yeah, and all of the work she did in the 2020 election to defend voting rights and voter registration drives and all all of that sort of thing, that that was kind of the efforts they wanted to support and celebrate in their songwriting. And if you look at the list of songwriters, there's like seven or eight people credited on this song. And she said that, you know, sometimes you might see that and think, oh, it took a lot of people to get it right or whatever. But but that, that was so intentional here because they wanted so many multitudes of voices and perspectives to make the song as inclusive as possible and bring all those voices to the table. So she said it was just such a different process because it was intentional in a very different way from anything she's written before. Wow. What were your what was your first impression when you heard that song? Just I mean, pairing Brandy Carlisle and Alicia Keys's voice together, like it's one of those like, okay, you just need to you just need to sit down and, and sit with it. Like it's it's a wall of sound washing over you. I guess let's go through the the other artists in that category in the song of the year. Um, we have Ed Sheeran, Bad Habits, as we mentioned, a beautiful noise, Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license, hers fight for you, Billie Eilish's happier than ever, kiss me more from Doja Cat and SZA, leave the door open from Silk Sonic. Montero, Call Me By Your Name, from Lil Nas X, of course, and Peaches from Justin Bieber. And then, as we mentioned before, Brandy's other song, Right On Time. So she has actually a, a one in five chance of, of winning this thing. Do you, <laughs> do you think she'll pull through? Uh, she, <laughs> she didn't seem too optimistic about her odds. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of on the fence. I think the Music Academy loves to celebrate things in this category that are maybe not necessarily the most 
obvious choice. Mm -hmm. Something of like last year, Billie Eilish won a lot of awards, but her won in this category for I Can't Breathe. They have a history of sort of taking not the most popular or the highest charting song, but something that has like a little more meaning and cultural resonance. I can see them going with Right on Time or A Beautiful Noise. I could also see them going with something like Montero because it's such a huge moment for Lil Nas X. Driver's License. I mean, who doesn't love Driver's License? There was an SNL skit about how much people love Driver's License. So yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is that I would be perhaps wary of Brandy's splitting the vote by having two nominations. But I think she has a little bit of a buffer against that because one of them is the co-writing situation with the explicit political situation. And one of them is like her single. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think you're totally right. She's up against some really strong contenders who've had big pop culture tent pole moments in 2021. Driver's License Montero. Of course, the video from Montero was all we were talking about for weeks. And then of course, you've got some big pop acts like Doja Cat with Kiss Me More and SZA. That was like a summer anthem. Leave the door open was a, you know, refreshing retro soul sound, you know, from Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack. But I think the edge that Brandy does have that you, you touched on is this kind of deeper resonance with these songs. You know, one song, A Beautiful Noise is about getting out the vote and get access to voting. And this is obviously, a, you know, it was a huge, a huge year, a very, very important election. And so for them to get that message out was instrumental. And then right on time, which, as you said, has sort of become a bit of a pandemic anthem. Both those tracks have something, you know, working in their favor. Um, and, and I think it's, I think it's just a deeper resonance. They're not bops by any means, but um, they, they do also kind of capture the zeitgeist in another way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and, and so you already interviewed her about the video for Right On Time. And of course, that was directed by Courtney Cox. The two forged a friendship, became fast friends. And Courtney basically positioned herself as a potential director for the video, not thinking that, that Brandy would ever enlist her for it. But tell us a little bit about Courtney and Brandy connecting. And their work on the video and what they were trying to achieve. Yeah. I mean, so funnily enough, they were originally connected by their stylist, which when you look at Courtney Cox's style and you look at Brandy Carlisle's style is a little like, Hmm, how did that happen? Like, how do they have the same stylist? Cause they're both incredibly fashionable, but I think have very different taste. <laughs> but anyway, that's how they met. And um, anyone who follows Courtney on social media will know that she is extremely into music. Um, she often posts covers of herself playing the piano and singing. And her partner is a musician as well. And so that's actually how they connected again was Courtney posted an Instagram video of her covering Brandy's song, The Joke. And uh, Brandy DM'd her and was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And so they became fast friends after that and kept in touch. And uh, now I think they just like hang out at each other's houses all the time is the impression I get. And the video just seems like this labor of love between them. I loved how Courtney 
said that, you know, she didn't want Brandy to just give it to her because of their relationship or their friendship. She wanted to earn it. And so she storyboarded and she presented like a full pitch to Brandy. And Brandy was really impressed by it and felt that she got the song. But she was remarking on today when we were speaking, the climax of the video is her plunging into this pool and being underwater. And Brandy actually has horrible aquaphobia and was terrified of putting her face underwater. Um, But she didn't want to let Courtney down. So she took swimming lessons to overcome this phobia and practiced in Courtney's pool. And she said that the more uncomfortable she felt and the harder it was, Courtney just pushed her further and further. And to her, that was the ethos of the song. And so even though it was hard for her, that was really what sealed the deal in terms of her feeling like Courtney understood the song inside and out. And the video was going to be a reflection of that, which I think is really cool. That's awesome. And the video is great. She looks amazing in it. Of course, it's just amazing what that song and video can achieve in such a short amount of time. The song itself is less than three minutes long, but it just packs such a punch as we discussed. There is a slightly harder to find video that Marina and I were chatting a little bit about before. I think you can find it on Brandy's Facebook. It's worth hunting down. It is a wonderful parody. Uh, It's basically Courtney roasting Brandy for how she holds that note. You know, it wasn't right. The right Brandy just soars to the stratosphere with that and holds it for quite a long time. And I mean, she really gives an, she really gives Adele and a run, a run for her money, you know, with this song. As far as like, <laughs> it's true. Be- beautiful it's true. torch balladry from 2021. You know, we, we obviously think of Adele, but you had right on time and it really just, you know, kind of blows everything out of the water, but it's very endearing, but it speaks, of course, to Brandy's again, tremendous, tremendous talent. So she's up against some of the same nominees and the record of the year category. Um, which just to kind of recap that record of the year, this is just a kind of a nutty motley crew of artists. Like you've got, you've got ABBA with I Still Have Faith in You. By the way, ABBA has never been nominated for <laughs> a Grammy which until is this insane. Grammy. Yes. Come on. One of the Academy. best. <laughs> yes. One of the best pop groups of all time. I mean, you think. Of all- all Chris, time, beautiful, ever. perfect pop songwriting. You don't get much better than ABBA. The fact that it took us until 2022 to get them into the Grammys race is just mystifying. So they're up for, finally. So I still have faith in you is up for, up for Grammy. John Batiste, Freedom. Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga, I get a kick out of you. Justin Bieber again for Peaches. Brandy for Right on Time. Kiss Me More from Doja Cat and SZA. Billy Eilish, Happier Than Ever. Lil Nas X, Montero. Olivia Rodrigo, Driver's License. Are you sensing a trend here? Uh, Silk Sonic, <laughs> leave the door open. This is tricky, right? Because <sighs> record of the year is, you know, it, it goes to the artists, it goes to the producers, the recording engineers. So there's a whole, you know, ensemble that is awarded this trophy. And so, Maureen, what are your thoughts on Brandy walking away with this one? You know, I think this might be more of a long shot because <laughs> the competition is so stiff. Yes. This yes. is one that more traditionally goes to um, something that uh, was really in the zeitgeist yes. and uh, chart topping. 
Um, obviously, there's a lot more uh, entries here in terms of nominees. Personally, I'm rooting for ABBA because they deserve a Grammy. Um, and um, who doesn't love ABBA? There's something wrong with you if you don't love ABBA. Um, so... Yeah, I, I think this is a, a tougher one. She could still, you know, pull pull a surprise here because the Academy does love these um, really lush ballads. Mm-hmm, but I, mm-hmm. I think it's more likely to go to one of those really big breakout songs that you know you're you're you've got tracking on on the radio and you hear it three times. <laughs> Absolutely, like a lot of these songs really they they did encapsulate twenty twenty one. Whereas I think Right on Time was a, would be a bit more of a dark horse, which is not to say that it does not belong in the mix by any means. Again, we named it actually one of the 10 best tracks of 2021 here at EW because we were just so blown away by Randy's performance. But yeah, I think it would be a bit of a long shot in this case. She had also discussed how she was nominated for Best Pop Solo Performance this time around, um, which was a little, I think, confusing for her. She took to her Instagram and just made a point of saying that while she was so incredibly honored to be considered in this category, she did want to make it clear what her roots are. And that is in, you know, Americana, (laughs) American roots. And I got the impression she felt a little bit torn by this. And she actually said, the importance of staying and working in Americana is greater than just me. So she wrote in her Instagram post, there's not a moment where I don't view my role as something larger. I feel great responsibility in representing marginalized queer people in rural America who are raised on country and reef music, but are repeatedly and systemically rejected by the correlating culture. I think that was a really important statement to make. I don't think it undermines her gratitude for being recognized this year, but I think as a queer person, I think it's incredibly important to her to represent that community and to make them feel welcome. But I would argue, you know, in counter to the post she wrote, of course, you don't want to lose your roots. And and she very much is still in that Americana world. But I think getting a nomination in the pop solo category is in some ways even more validating and bringing those voices into the conversation because it's bringing a type of songwriting and a type of music into a new category, a category that's only existed since 2012 and saying like pop music has a place for this too. And I I really appreciate that. And so I think I totally understand her reticence or her complicated feelings, but at the same time, I think there's a beautiful widening of what we quantify as pop music and including her in that category. Absolutely. I I found it so refreshing. I was surprised as well. You may have been too, because she has already won six Grammys, but all of these were country and Americana. And I was very surprised to see her in the pop category, but I thought this is excellent because this is an artist that people should know. And mm. I admit that I was a late bloomer to Brandy. I'm, I'm not the, the standee that Maureen is. <laughs> I mean, I was a late bloomer too. I actually discovered her at, um, there was a large event for Joni Mitchell's birthday party at the Walt Disney Concert Hall a few years ago when they had a lot of artists performing Joni's songs. And that's where I discovered Brandy and was just absolutely mesmerized by her voice and then dug into her back catalog. So I just love the idea of this artist who is traditionally known as an Americana roots country artist getting exposure to a mainstream audience, because I think there will be plenty, there probably were or will be plenty of people who will hear this song now, 
they'll think, oh, wow, who is this person? Oh, wow, she's been making music for 17 years. Wow, I'm just going to go explore her back catalog. And there is a prowess and a versatility, I think, in her performances. And I think people, even folks who don't like Americana or roots music or country music, I think they could find a lot to love in her discography. Absolutely. And I think the best artists in some ways defy description. I mean, she regularly cites Elton John and David Bowie as inspirations. And they're pop artists, they're rock artists, but they've done so many different things. I mean, it's very hard to put them in one box or one genre. And she is very much of that ilk where the fact that she is a singer-songwriter and uses a lot of acoustic guitar and that type of sound most naturally places her in these country and Americana categories. But at the same time, I don't know that she fits all that neatly in them either. (laughs) She's up against some stiff competition uh, yet again. She's up against some pop heavy hitters in the best pop solo performance category. She's up against uh, Justin Bieber for anyone. Billie Eilish is happier than ever. Aria Grande's Positions. And yet again, Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license. Maureen, thoughts on if she can assail the competition for the pop solo performance category? You know, I think it really depends what what the Academy's feeling here. Because, you know, as we mentioned, it's a very new category. It's only been around for about two years. And if you look at some of the winners in the last decade, Adele was the first two winners for someone like you and Set Fire to the Rain. And she also won for Hello. I mean, those are very ballad singer-songwriter tracks. You you said, you know, rivaling Adele in some of her vocals on Right On Time. So I can see the people who voted for those songs to win voting for this. But there's also obviously a history of um, these big pop hits that are pop hits in like the truest sense of the word, something like Watermelon Sugar or Truth Hurts or Shape of You winning. So to me, it could really go both ways. The Grammys do, of course, love Adele. I believe she has, what, 16 or something Grammys at at this point? But but also Joanne won in this category. And that's another song that Gaga is so pop, but Joanne is really not a pop song. song (laughs) Joanne is much more like something like Right on Time. Yeah, that's a really good point. So she could be the dark horse uh, in this category. The last category she's up for is Best American Roots Performance. But she's up against some of the contenders in this category uh, but she's with Brandy Clark. She's she's teamed up with Brandy Clark for Same Devil, a collaboration. Um, they're up against Nightfire by Allison Russell. I wish I knew how it would feel to be free from the Blind Boys of Alabama and Bella Flack. Love and Regret from Billy Strings, and then Cry from John Baptiste. Who John Baptiste, of course, has been nominated for eleven awards this year, the most by quite a margin. What do we think her chances of uh, winning in this category are, Maureen? Well, I can tell you that Brandy's rooting for Allison Russell because she said she <laughs> wishes she had written Night Flyer and that that is one of her favorite songs of the last year. So I, I could pretty Amazing. much guarantee that that's who she hopes takes home the trophy. <laughs> um, but, you know, I feel like this is maybe the most neck and neck of any of the races in terms of the songs are are the most similar here as opposed to the other categories where things are wildly different and the way that they landed for audiences was wildly different experience as well. You know, she's featured on this. It's Brandy Clark's song. So, you know, 
I mean, it still would be a win for her, but less of a win than the others in some ways. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I do agree. I think she has more of a chance in this category just because it is Americana. It's, it's, it's American roots and these are all American roots songs. Whereas the pop record of the year, song of the year categories are just very disparate. And again, she didn't necessarily make the waves that some of those, those, the artists in those categories made. I would love to see her walk away with something. When you get this many nominations, five in one year, especially when you're someone who isn't a top 40 radio artist, I think that is quite a feat in and of itself. So I think it would be wonderful for her to walk away, you know, with at least one win. Absolutely. And um, I don't believe we, we've we heard yet who's performing at the Grammys. Um, so I know she obviously got a very large stage when she was on Saturday Night Live last fall. Uh, but I would love to see her get one of those performance slots or she's always exquisite at doing tributes to other artists or performing with other artists, particularly people who are some of those legends and icons we've talked about. So I would love to see some like super performance with Brandy if she's not going to get a showcase for her own music. But yeah, I hope she takes home something because she is an incredible force in the world and yeah. really hope that that gets recognized. She's really well-respected among her peers as well. And we have to remember that this is the Grammys voting, you know, committees are peers. So these are musicians who really appreciate the craft. And so in that regard, she may stand a chance. Speaking of awards and the award is she's performing and Elton John, her, you know, one of her BFFs, she's friends with all these icons. Like you were saying, Maureen, if you scroll through her Instagram, she's been hanging out with Joni Mitchell, Elton John, of course, Courtney Cox, Carol King. Um, so she is a darling in this world. She's going to be performing at Elton john's coveted oscars party this season a lot of people will see her there maybe she'll you know get some exposure to a new hollywood fan base maybe next on the horizon for her will be a movie soundtrack which i think she could she could certainly tackle um oh yeah but uh, she's definitely been in the studio with tanya tucker so we have that you know to look forward to at this point i feel like the sky's the limit with with brandy carlisle just like the sky is the limit for her I would dare say her voice actually transcends the sky is the limit. I think it ascends to the heavens. Yes. We need to hear from more from Brandy Carlisle. Maureen, thank you so much for taking the time to chat about her phenomenal year. And uh, I think it's time to hear your conversation with Brandy and, and her thoughts, to hear from the horse's mouth, her reaction to the Grammy nomination she's received and what she has coming up. Absolutely. And if you have ever wondered what Brandy Carlisle's cover of Smelly Cat would sound like, you must listen to this interview. I am so excited to have the phenomenal Brandy Carlisle with us today, talking all about In These Silent Days and her Grammy nominations. Hi, Brandy. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really good, thanks. I want to start by asking, Right on Time, which was the first single off In These Silent Days, is nominated for three Grammys. When we chatted last summer, you said that it was the first song to really grab hold of you in the same way that the joke had several years prior. Um, mm -hmm. Does it feel like a nice kind of bow to the, your journey with the song to then be earning some of the same Grammy nominations you got for the joke? Yeah, it really does feel like that and really unexpected and um, just, just amazing, you know, because I do tend to want to write these songs for 
the vocal moments that sort of raised me, the vocal moments that, you know, lit that fire in me to be a singer, a singer's singer, even, if you will, you know, and Right on Time is probably the, the peak song for me so far in that, in that lane. Well, what is it about those songs, but especially Right on Time that like had that sort of gripping effect on you? Well, I mean, it's the ability to pour unbridled emotion into a piece of music, but also in this really technical, steady, athletic way of being a vocalist, being able to carry it. I mean, being totally inspired by everybody from Whitney Houston to Roy Orbison in that respect. Yeah, I love that. You also said when we spoke before that you were afraid both the joke and right on time would grow to something beyond your control. Would you say that that's come to pass? What do you mean? Like, I guess I, what did I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I, <laughs> I think you meant just that, you know, they would become, you know, something that was so far beyond yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that, you know, I do ever since the story, you know, when I design these kind of vocal moments, work them into songs that they weren't written into, you know, I'm definitely setting a bar, creating a bar that I'm going to have to sort of like at least acknowledge, if not meet (laughs) later on in life. (laughs) I mean, it's like, I guess it's the singer's version of thinking about retirement, like, oh God, what am I going to do when I can't hit those notes anymore? (laughs) I'm going to Leonard Cohen that shit and just sort of like drop my voice down and get real serious. It's going to be great. I love it. I love it. Well, you're on tour right now. I mean, do you in some ways dread singing that song because of the vocal challenge that it is? I used to sing those songs drunk. I used to sing those songs with whiskey in my hand and then get straight off stage and eat a whole pizza, go to bed on a tour bus and get shook up like a pop can, wake up the next morning and do it again. That's not the way I live anymore. So I do (laughs) have to think all the time about what my voice can endure and what it can handle. And I see young people doing exactly the things I did in their 20s and even in their 30s. And I'm always like, I resist the urge to sound the alarm because it's like, God, enjoy it. Totally enjoy it. You know, Because <laughs> one day you will be eating like energy bars and drinking water religiously and training and, and living that way. You've won six Grammys now. You've been nominated for many more. Does the whole awards thing get easier or does your relationship to it change as you have some more experience under your belt there? I just love having come to it later in life and having a different understanding of what an award or even a reward really means. You know, I think it would have been really hard for these kinds of things to have happened to me when I was younger and then maybe not subsequently happen to me when I, when I get older, I love the latter day realizations. You know, I mean, I had, I got married later than everybody in my family, I had kids later and then everybody in my family. And I had success in my career later than almost all of my peers. Mm. And it's been significant to me emotionally to be acknowledged by these institutions and to get these awards, these acknowledgements, you know, from my peers or from, you know, the pillars of our community and the music makers that I've been worshiping since I was seven years old. But yeah, I think that it has changed my life, but it's impacted me in a logical way, you know, and in a way that I understand, you know, I'm not 
built to base my music or my career on it, but to understand the significance of it. And um, the underlying and overarching feeling is just, you know, gratitude. Yeah. Well, that all sounds very fitting because I I get the sense from your music that you, like me, are an old soul. So (laughs) (laughs) what do you think makes a quote unquote Grammys artist? Good question. I have a lot of like, I think about this a lot, actually. I think you have to be really careful as an artist to not direct yourself towards that as a subgenre or a category. As an outside observer, if I weren't a musician but understood the institution of the Grammys, I would think something that excites, impresses, and inspires other artists because other artists are so involved in that outcome. I would think it has to be innovative, exciting, new. The kind of thing that makes people want to grab a pen and paper or a guitar or, or makes people jealous even, you know, in a good, in a good way. That's the kind of thing I think that, that makes a Grammy artist because you have, you have your major enormous pop stars and rock stars and, and people that you would think would get, gain those kinds of acknowledgements who are certainly worthy. But then you also have these strange aggregate innovators, you know, your Jacob Colliers or your um, Esperanza Spaldings. And um, I think those people light the fire of other artists. Is uh, you, you mentioned jealousy. <laughs> Is there an artist nominated this year or a song that you wish you had written? Oh, yeah. Jealousy. That's the, that's the gas my car runs on for sure. <laughs> not, it's like, you know, it's affectionate jealousy. Like, God, why didn't I write that song? Oh, my God, there's so many of them and you're putting me on the spot. I would think uh, Night Flyer is a song that got nominated uh, three times this year by an artist called Alison Russell. And when I hear that song, I feel like it is um, just in my, it's in my bones. It feels like it's been with me my whole life, like fire and rain or, or, you know what I mean? Something like that. So like a song that you just know in your soul, but it's new and it's not derivative. It's just got that way that just permeates, you know? If you uh, had to place odds on your chances of winning, what would you say they were? And and do you feel like your past wins have made a difference in your career? <laughs> oh, yeah. God, my past wins have made a huge difference in um, my career. I mean, everything, night and day, and not just my career, my life. Hmm. You know, it's changed everything in my life. And I'm not afraid to say that. It's really altered the course and trajectory of my career, which has obviously positively benefited my family and something that we can use for our outreach and activism. So um, it's been an important thing to this girl. My chances of winning, I think, are not great this year. (laughs) 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 But but I'm going to get all dressed up. I'm going to go. I'm going to be in a suit, possibly a tie, you know, and I'm going to really um, live it up and drink all the champagne, all the champagne. Savor the moment. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the music video for Right on Time really kind of trades on this idea of being creatively stuck or trapped. Uh, Why was that something that spoke to you with this song? Well, it was more about being spiritually or emotionally trapped. It spoke to me because it was um, a, a cliched feeling that so many of us were experiencing through lockdown and the effects of the pandemic. And there's such a a shift, an energetic shift, I think, happening on this earth. And um, that song, to me, felt like breaking free 
and breaking free from my own also fears, you know, like I'm, I'm a bit of a nervous person. Like when I made that music video, I had to, to overcome this weird, and maybe it's not weird. Maybe everybody has this, a lot of people have this problem. I can't put my face underwater. And if I do, I can't open my eyes or like unplug my nose. So I had to learn to like get underwater with my nose unplugged, swim in a pool where I couldn't touch the bottom and open my eyes just to film that last scene. And it was, it was Courtney's idea, um, Courtney Cox, who directed the video. And the more uncomfortable it made me, the more the concept excited her. And that's when I realized that she really got the song. Um, you know, because it was about breaking free from what you think holds you back, but it's not really there. Just like that, the glass, you know, in the end. Yeah. I think it's a more common fear than you think. My mom is terrified of the same thing. So really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we grew up, we had a pool and she wouldn't, she wouldn't just do wouldn't it. Do but it. She, yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, it's a total thing. I'm, my kids now, if they get in the water, I'm like, unplug your nose and open your eyes like start she this did now the same thing with us she's like no we're not repeating this yes, you don't want this <laughs> i i'm just so enchanted by the melody of right on time thank you it feels similar to what you're saying about nightfall where it just you hear it and you feel like it's been in your bones forever um how did you find that riff and that sound i mean the the main lyrics of the chorus, either way, I lose you in these silent days. They just, they take hold of something in your gut, really. Mm. Well, it's really, I would say that it's two different songs. The verses are based on my early love for like Radiohead and this meandering, beautiful melancholy melody. And then the choruses are, are crescendos. There, there are the point of them as crescendos, huge moments that can be a vocal lift that can just reach into somebody and grab them emotionally and pull them out of wherever they happen to be. You know, that is a lot of that uh, inspiration comes from my love for say Roy Orbison or Elvis Presley. And um, Dave Cobb was really instrumental in helping me with that chorus crescendo, that major to minor moment where the voice soars and everything. Um, he is a sucker for those moments, just like I am. And I don't need to be encouraged, but he really encourages me. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of those moments, you and, and Courtney and Lisa Kudrow spoofed that um, and, your, and your long note in that little parody video. I mean, how did that come to pass? Is your side gig now just going to be uh, parodying Lisa Kudrow parody songs? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could. The more I hang out with Courtney, the more I see that as a possibility. Um, God, who doesn't love those gals, though? It's like, right, they're as in us as any of these songs are. I mean. Mm, so true. So next up, Brandy Carlisle, Smelly Cat. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'm all right. Don't even worry about it. What are they feeding you? Amazing. Um, well, you're also nominated for Song of the Year for A Beautiful Noise with mm. Alicia Keys, um, which y'all wrote as part of the voting drive for the 2020 election. Uh, does it feel different to be nominated for something? I, I know that you are a political person in general and, and do so much outreach and activism, but writing something explicitly political versus a song you wrote for an album, does, does that feel like a a different kind of nod. Absolutely. Yeah. Because those aren't just songs. They're like little mini movements, you know, 
And there are people coming together that are different from each other. You know, me and Alicia and then Linda Perry and also Hillary Lindsay and also Brandy Clark. And, you know, there's, there's so, Haley Witters and the, there's so many writers on that song, but there's a reason for that. It wasn't because we wanted to write a hit song. It's because we wanted a lot of people that are very different to come together on an important issue, which I see that song as an anthem for um, voting, everybody being able to exercise their right to vote. We all had Stacey Abrams in mind as an inspiration for that song. And we came together from all different backgrounds, belief systems, sexual orientations, and, um, and wrote that song. And it was just a testament to the fact that groups of very different women can and do work together all the time to um, make micro and major improvements in the world. So seeing that song acknowledged to me is um, really important. And I, and I see, I can, I can tell that the Academy realizes that it's more than a song too. I can tell they see that it's a movement and I just appreciate, I really appreciate folks ability to, um, to read between the lines, to see the subtext. It's, yeah. it's actually great. And it, it speaks to the collective intelligence, I think. Of the group. I love that Stacey Abrams inspired it. She is just one incredible woman. Fire, just absolute <laughs> fire. And and Alicia, you know, it took Alicia recognizing that song and going, no, this is a thing. We have to do this. And she did. She was um, the rocket fuel behind that song is, is Alicia Keys. Mm. And These Silent Days is, is such a, a vocal and musical tapestry, but does Right on Time mean the most to you of, of all the songs on the album? Oh my gosh. It's really hard to say. No, it's, it's, um, you and me on the rock means a lot to me because that's about my family and my marriage and, um, you know, what we've had to overcome to enjoy it. And we do enjoy it. This time tomorrow is really important to me because I feel like that that's a message for generations of, um, family, both, um, chosen and not chosen. And, I feel like uh, throwing good after bad is really important to me because that's the first song I wrote after my book. And I just feel like it's really, really one of the most honest things I've ever said. Um, and right on time is important to me because it gives me an outlet for my really big emotions that I don't know how to express in any other way. Well, speaking of your book, uh, you named the memoir Broken Horses, and and that's a song on the album as well. And just a beautiful portrait of this imagery of something that's had its spirit broken, but is still able to unleash itself. Um, why is that something that that spoke to you? You mean like the concept of the title? Yeah. Well, it's kind of cool because I've always loved horses since I was a baby. Um, but I've always been a bit afraid of them too, you know, because I come from like a, a rugged scallywag cowboy family and I've been on horses and got bucked off and hurt and kicked and drug around and stuff. So I, you know, kind of like the face underwater thing. I, de- I never really had enough great experiences with them to feel like brave about horses, um, which I'm seeing play out differently with my kids. It's just so beautiful. But my daughter wants a horse so bad. And, um, I've always told her that they're very expensive and that she has to save all this money. And then she has to get really responsible, feed her dog every morning, blah, 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 all the mom shit that moms say. And um, in the morning, she was lying in bed with me and Catherine overhearing us discuss book titles. And basically we were talking about me growing up poor. And she's like, you were poor? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, and you had a horse. 
And I was like, yes. And then she sort of caught me in my lie, you know, and she's like, but you said horses are very expensive and I can't have one. And I was like, yeah, well, I had broken horses because I did broken legs and like broken shit on them, you know? And uh, she goes, well, you should call your book Broken Horses. And it was like, it just dawned on me that my horses, my two horses that came into my life as kind of guardian angels, you know, I had access to them because they were broken, because they were downgraded from being useful to the world. But they were probably my two strongest influences. They were very strong things that the world thought were broken. And I I liked that because I feel that way about myself and my family. And I feel that way about my community of fans, you know, largely a lot of misfits, a lot Mm -hmm. of rejected people coming together in a really strong way. When you were writing the song, Broken Horses, uh, was there a desire to be in conversation with or set it in juxtaposition to wild horses? No, but I love that song. It's such a good My song. My mom always loves that song because she loved that song growing up. No, but same spirit. Yeah. Well, I know you're always working on something, but you've also said after every album, you're unsure if you'll ever write another one. What are you working on right now? What's what's next for you? I've been been in the studio doing a really cool project of like kind of Laurel Canyoning in these silent days, like re-recording it from the CSNY, Joni, Mamas and Papas, kind of dreamy, lush, you know, just blurry, super eight kind of aesthetic. I just got full body chills. I need you to know. <laughs> it was so much fun. And um Yes, uh, I, I was doing that. And now I am remodeling a house on the compound for my brother and sister-in-law because I love finished carpentry. And then I am writing a book with my wife. Awesome. Yeah. So lots of fun things. <laughs> Will we see more from the high women at some point, do you think? It's so funny you said that because I just talked to them yesterday, like the whole group. We just had a big Zoom and a hang and trying to decide what's next. And I think there is a very good possibility that you will hear more. This is the awardist. We're talking about award season. I hear you're going to be performing at Sir Elton John's Oscar party. Can you tease what you might be doing there? Well, um, I think I'm just going to go for it full rock band performance. I'm going to come to LA and get fitted for a cool outfit because you can't do Elton John's Oscar party unless you look awesome. Um, it's, it's kind of surreal because I, you know, he's been my hero since I was 11. And I remember being 12, 13 years old going, you know, not 12, 13, but I maybe like in my late teens going, God, if I ever got to go to Elton John's Oscar party, what would I wear? So that's, what's really on my mind. What will I wear? I'm sure it will be spectacular, whatever you choose. It was a real pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you so much, Maureen. And that's it for this Grammys edition of The Awardist. If you like what you heard, subscribe, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. To keep this conversation with us going, follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials, at EW on Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag us at Jason D. Lanfier and at the Marine Lee. We'll see you next time. This episode of the Awardist podcast was hosted by Jason Lanfier and Marine Linker, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. Listening.